Welcome to Talking Sports RG. My name is Roger Queen, and I'm with my co-host Grant Harkness. Let's jump into our Wednesday episode. So let's talk a little Monday Night Football. We had the Jaguars playing against the Bengals. I thought the Jaguars were going to come away with a pretty good win in this one. And the Bengals hung, hung tough. You know, backup quarterback, Browning came, Jake Browning came in, and he looked like he looked like he fit right in. So he that team did not look like they dropped off a lot on Monday. What did you think of this game? Yeah, I didn't get to watch the first half of this because I was able to watch the second half kind of when scoring kind of heated up a little bit and we got to overtime, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, Cincinnati looks like they didn't kind of fall off at all. Jamar Chase was, like, on fire. If you had him for fantasy, like, he put up points for you. Um, Browning's not bad. Like he's able to get the ball to his guys. Mixon had a game. This was a very high offensive scoring game. So if you have the over, that's great. But yeah, unfortunately, Jacksonville does not come away with this. Yeah, and it was frustrating with the uh, Chiefs' loss. This was their opportunity to move into first place in the AFC conference standings, and they could have controlled their destiny from here on out. They've got a game against the Ravens to put them kind of in their place. Um, so they'll still have a chance to really get that to jockey for that positioning come playoff time, but it just feels like a missed opportunity when they're a double digit favorite at home. And then you just let a backup quarterback hang with it the entire game, you know? So, I mean, not the worst game from Jacksonville, but defensively, I think giving up 34 points to a backup quarterback does not, does not bode well. You know, so it'll be interesting to see if Jake Browning is a long term, like if he can figure this out the rest of season, or if this was just a one week wonder where the Jaguars didn't have a lot of film on him and didn't know how to prepare for him. But he went 32 of 37. He had 354 yards passing with a touchdown. He only took two sacks. He looked, he looked really good out there and he didn't, he was getting the ball to his weapons. I mean, when you've got a team like this Bengals team that has a lot of weapons, I guess I guess the trick really is just get your good players the ball. So that's what they did. Yeah. They came out with a win. Unfortunately for the Jaguars, Christian Kirk is going to be out six to eight weeks. So his season is pretty much over. With a groin injury, he might be able to come back come later playoff time, but it's going to be really tough. Yeah. And then Trevor Lawrence left this game late in the game with a high ankle sprain. They said that he is questionable for Sunday's game. I don't think that he'll practice this week. I don't think that he'll play on Sunday. I think that this will be a two-week injury that we maybe see him um, Sunday night against the Ravens on December 17th. So I think that they're going to... Like, this injury live looked so nasty and brutal. Like, literally watching it live, you think he just snaps his leg in half, just how he fell. It kind of just felt awkward. But hopefully the optimism that the Jaguars have of it just being an ankle sprain is true, and we don't have anything else, like, higher up in the knee or in his hip or anything like that, too. So, yeah, brutal injury for Trevor Lawrence. That kind of definitely sucks. But, I mean, even in this game overall, it just speaks to this season, like, Having a good backup QB is probably something teams need to look at for next year of develop a guy really good as a backup QB because you never know when your main guy is going to get hurt. 
and you can't have a guy step in where we've seen it with the Jets, like with Zach Wilson. I mean, Zach Wilson's nothing special, but the drop off from Zach Wilson to now Boyle and Trevor Simeon, it just doesn't work. Like you have to have a good solid backup QB if you still want to compete in the NFL. You can't just throw a guy in there and be like, all right, go play QB. Like that's not going to help. You got to have a good solid guy. And we saw that from Browning. Like Browning did a really good, decent job of getting the ball to his weapons. So, yeah, sucks for Trevor Lawrence, but hopefully we're only two weeks for him. And I think an important component of that as well is that when you're looking for a backup QB, you can't have a guy that has a completely different style. You know, you can't go from Aaron Rodgers to Marcus Mariota. And that's what a lot of teams are starting to do is they're finding quarterbacks that really play similar football to their starting quarterback. And so you get a team like the Ravens who found a backup quarterback that can play similar to the way that Lamar Jackson plays, right? And then Jake Browning, he came in and he's got the swagger that Joe Burrow has and he just wasn't the number one pick in the draft. You know, this is a guy that had a lot of success in college at Washington and he came in and he just showed no fear. And that's exactly what Joe Burrow does. And so when you've got a guy that's playing with confidence and swagger that leaves the game, leaves, he's got a season ending injury. You kind of need someone with that same like confidence to walk back into the huddle or else you're taking a major drop off. And that's what we saw from Jake Browning this week, which was really cool. And that's kind of where we've seen teams really get in trouble when their quarterback gets hurt or not, you know? So when I look at a team like the Browns, where they went from Deshaun Watson, who's a very mobile quarterback that trying to get out of the pocket, get the ball out in space, and then they lose him and they go to Dorian Thompson Robinson instead of PJ Walker. That makes a lot of sense to me because those guys play a similar brand of football, you know? So I think that that's going to be one of the biggest things for these NFL teams going forward is we don't want to drop off, but we also don't want to change a style. We can't go from... Um, you know, like a pocket passer to Tyrod Taylor or some guy that's going to be mobile. Like you have to have these complimentary guys um, in your system. So yeah, just so many quarterback injuries this year. I think that there's a lot of factors that go into this and it's, it's really tough because we look at the list and I mean, Trevor Lawrence got hurt and Kenny Pickett got hurt this week and hopefully they're not season ending injuries, but we've already lost Aaron Rodgers, We've lost Joe Burrow, Anthony Richardson early in the year, and then Kirk Cousins, Deshaun Watson and Daniel Jones. Do you think that this is linked to not having like full contact in practices, not going the full capacity in some of like the reps and stuff. And so their body's not used to taking hits. We reduce the preseason by a game even. And these guys just aren't even playing preseason. So they go off season, working out, non-contact all, all off season. Then they get into preseason training camp. There's no contact in that minimal contact when necessary. They don't even have pads on a lot of times. And then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, week one, boom, pads. And you're like, these guys are dropping like flies. Like, do you think that that has anything to do with it? Because I think that this player safety has actually had a reverse effect on player safety where um, we're seeing a lot different players be successful, whether it be in the quarterback role or be in the wide receiver role, like Tank Dell, who's a smaller wide receiver. But then at the same time, these guys can't take the hits or can't take as many hits 
as some of the guys used to. Plus, we're playing an extra game in the season, you know, instead of yeah. 16 games, these teams are playing 17 games now. So that also wears on teams. So like, what is, what is your thought on this? I never played football, like as a cross country yeah. runner, I can't even speak to this. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, football is a very physically demanding sport. Like you're getting hit constantly. Um, it's different than from like a game of say like basketball, basketball, you're moving, you're running the entire time. So your endurance you're a basketball player it's pretty good football is a little different like you run a play and from that start of the play like you're full speed full sprint full strength and then you have a stop and then you set it again and then you're full speed full strength going like that constantly over and over and over again um like the most stressful thing you can do to your body is go full out 100 percent. so if you put a lot of stress on your body it's eventually going to wear down it's not going to keep up so yeah when we do have guys that are not training throughout the whole week and getting into practice and moving and using those muscles and and movements that they should be using and then they go to do it yeah of course we can see some of these guys just kind of having these freak accidents where nothing really happened and they just cut wrong and boom torn acl high ankle sprain all that kind of stuff i do know there are like like the tank dell injury that's just as simple of like maybe not have tank dell 165 pound dude try to go block Justin Simmons and yeah, be in that's front fair. of the running play because he's going to get rolled up on and he's a tiny guy. Like that's just a freak injury. He got rolled up on his ankle and then shoved back the other way. That small dude. Yeah. Something's bound to snap, tear, break. Like that's just going to happen. And then the one with Trevor Lawrence too, like there's nothing you can do to prevent like your left tackle from stepping on your ankle as you're going to throw. I mean, that just is bad luck for the Jaguars. But I do think like injuries like Deshaun Watson, it's like he sat out for a long time before this, before the season, like going into that motion. And especially with these guys, the size they are like you're banging into refrigerators like these dudes are huge and people don't realize that. That's why, like, like I love the safety rules for QBs, like when they slide, like don't have a guy come full speed in and just knock him in the head. That makes sense because these dudes weigh two, 250, 260. And at the speed that they can produce and the power they can produce, you're going to give someone a concussion. You're going to break a neck. You're going to do something that's not going to be fun to deal with. Um, but yeah, like just basic injuries that these QBs are having, like ankles. Like you already know ankles are going to be the one of the most like prone injuries in football because you're cutting, you're moving, you're going from full speed to stop. Like you've got to be able to have good ankle strength. And if you can't have that and you can't do it on a weekly basis, you're going to get injured because that your body's just going to wear down. And again, with an extra game in the season too, like that's just another week for your body to, to go through it. And it's, it's brutal. Football is a very demanding physical sport. And the other thing is like the cadence of the NFL is so here or there, you know? And so you go through training camp, you go through practice and you're playing at a certain speed, but training and practice speed are not the same as game speed. And so when you're stopping, starting, stopping, starting at different speeds, your fast twitch muscles are like, what is going on? This is not like the speed that we're going at in practice. This is not the speed we're going at in training camp, you know? And so then it's your muscles, like you're really confusing them with the timing and the speeds and different things. But then also, 
you've got seven days between games this week and then ten game ten days between games next week and then four days between games next week and these Thursday, Monday um games, like a lot of these guys don't aren't able to get into a rhythm like the NFL players that just played Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday and maybe a Monday night occasionally every week, you know, like every season. Yeah. So I think yeah, I don't the, think it's a coincidence either, like that we start seeing these injuries, obviously at the end of a season where guys are just going through it, but also like we had Thanksgiving games and a Black Friday game, like the last week or two, like that just throws guys' schedules off. We're also seeing like a lot of teams travel across the whole country to go play. And that's very like taxing on the body. Um, like stress and load management right now in the NFL, it just kind of seems non-existent. Like, what are we doing? We're putting dudes through through the gauntlet. Like, they are just going left and right, getting hit, injuries, like, all over the place. We had some concussions this last week with guys. It's just like, I, be I think smart about f- it. We want to watch football, but be smart. Like, I'm okay if football is just Sunday and Monday. Like, let these guys rest so that we can have great games on a Sunday and a Monday and dudes aren't hurt and everybody can play. I think one simple fix as well would just be consistency. If you play a Monday night game, you shouldn't be playing the first game on Sunday or in London the next week, you know. Yeah, if no. you're playing if you're playing in London and you're coming back, you should have a bye week. Like there's a lot of simple yeah. rules that we could put in the NFL schedule, but then along the lines of consistency, it can't be easy to play eight games on turf in a dome at home every year and then go play on natural grass and then go play on turf and then go play on natural grass and then go play on natural grass and then come play on turf and then practice on natural grass and then go play on turf. Like the NFL needs to mandate natural grass everywhere, you know, and they got to tell these teams just to figure it out because I know that this turf, I mean, and if turf is the cheaper option and that's what these teams want to go with, they need to figure out a solution. So all these players aren't getting hurt, but these players can't be going each week to a different playing surface and complaining and saying like, wow, the playing surface this week led to these injuries, but the playing service next week yeah. is really conducive to our environment. Like that doesn't make any sense, you know? And when yeah. that is a huge talking point, not just like week to week, but in the Super Bowl last year, like, Come on, NFL, like, this can't be that hard of a thing to figure out. Like, find a solution. It doesn't take a lot of big brains to get into one room and figure out, like, how do we protect our players from injury? Because guess what? The NFL, we don't want to watch Trevor Simeon. We don't want to watch Tim Boyle, okay? So keep Aaron Rodgers healthy. Like, I don't like Aaron Rodgers. I am not an Aaron Rodgers fan. But you best believe I'd rather watch the NFL with Aaron Rodgers in it than without. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean, like, teams are looking at, like, I think it's, I think it was the Green Bay game with Kansas City. I was noticing, like, when they had close-ups of the kicker, when he would kick, I mean, the, the grass looks like it's turf. But when he would kick, like, dirt came up with it as well. So some of these teams, I think Green Bay is one of the teams that has a mixture of it. They have synthetic turf in the field because obviously if you just grow grass in Green Bay, it's dead by September. Like, it's just dead. You're going to be playing on yellow grass, and it's going to match the whole stadium. Not a Scotch turf builder. 
<laughs> yeah, put some put some chemicals on it too, and then uh, we'll be good. So no, but like if you have some kind of mixture with it as well, of like synthetic, but you have the natural base to it. I mean, heck, just go to your local park in that city, figure out what grass they're using. Like some of the best football like we had as kids was just going to the park and playing on the grass there. Like yeah. nobody really got hurt playing on on the grass surface, two hand touch, even if we played tackle. Like. Be smart about this NFL and you have the resources, you have the money, quit trying to capitalize on these guys so much. I mean, you're dealing with guys' bodies and their life. Like who knows what we see down the road with some of these injuries, like some of these guys, when they get to 50, 60, what they're going to be dealing with. Yeah, it's tough. So I hope they figure it out soon. Cause like I said, it just makes for a better product when we're protecting these players, but in the right ways, not in these unintentional like in these ways that are unintentionally hurting the players you know i think that yep. and this will be the last point i make because i want to move on but when you talked about the qb safety rules you're telling defenders i want you to go 100 percent speed but then in a split second i want you to make this decision to pull up and do something unnatural with your body because we care about the quarterback's body and so yeah. you go, okay, like that makes sense. I'm not going to get a 15-yard penalty. So you're running full speed, and then all of a sudden you stop. And all of a sudden you go from 100 to 0%, and your body like freaks out. you know. And so we're not just seeing quarterbacks yep. get hurt. We're seeing defensive guys drop like flies too. So I think that yep. there's been a lot of unintended consequences is what I'm trying to get at with these player safety rules and with the things that we've done to try to protect the players. And... The players know their bodies better than anyone. And so if you're going to make rules, let the players make the rules. Let, like, listen to the players about what they want. Don't have yeah. some neuroscientist or um, Dr. Fauci come in and tell you what you need. Because we all saw what happened. Really when... This is not a political podcast. I digress. Yeah. All right. I think that that is a good transition point. Let's move yeah. on to something else. <laughs> All right, let's talk some of the surprising things that happened last week. Two things in particular. Let's start with the 49ers came out and just said, look, the NFL would have looked different if we had Brock Purdy in that NFC Championship game. They absolutely crushed this Eagles team. Do you think this was a bad this game by the Eagles? Do you think this was like a really bad game for the Eagles, or do you think that this was... San Francisco showing the NFL were better than every single team by 20 points. Yeah, I think this is, yeah, I think this is San Francisco making their statement. Like we are the best offensive team in the NFL and we're going to show you like Debo's Samuel scored three times. Christian McCaffrey's all over the place. George Kittle, Ayuk, like you cannot stop San Francisco's offense. And this just goes to show like Eagles, you better get a better defense. If you want to keep competing for Super Bowls, like, Get some guys in there. Like, their front on front guys' defensive line, which the Eagles are kind of known for right now, they just got tore up. Like, Christian McCaffrey was still able to run on these guys. And I think San Francisco knew that. I think Shanahan knew that they had a better chance, like, running outside of their interior line because their secondary is so bad. Like, this, yeah. the tunnel screen that we saw from Debo, Purdy caught it, got it out of the pocket in less than a second, and Debo catches it and takes it for a tunnel screen for 40 yards. Like, that just doesn't really happen in the NFL unless you have a terrible secondary. Like, right now, it's like Washington 
and Eagles secondary are like right there with each other. Like they have, in my mind, these same guys, these same secondary, the same scheme. And we saw Washington get torn up by Miami. Like Tyree Kill was getting by these guys all day long. Like, got to get a secondary Philly. So that's that's actually funny because Philly played Miami earlier in the year, and Philly won that game, and Miami didn't move the ball really quick um, or very well. So it's actually funny because I I I agree with you. I, I'm not trying to like disprove your thought here. I agree with you, but Philly's defense shows up and then doesn't show up and the D line gets pressure and the guys are playing just good enough coverage to let the D line enforce what they're doing. But what Kyle Shanahan did really well that Mike McDaniel did not against this Eagles team is get the ball to the outside and make the corners tackle. You know, I think that Mike McDaniel was trying to throw the ball downfield where Mike Shanahan or Kyle Shanahan just said, "Just tackle our guys. Yeah, let your corners." I was going to say he (laughs) just told the Philadelphia corners. He said, "Bradbury Slay, I want to see you guys tackle," and they they had no clue how to do that. So, I don't even think it was about downfield coverage as much as when they run those outside schemes to get the ball to the outside, and the corners just are not used to tackling an open space like that, like every single play. I think that they can figure it out every once in a while when it's like one or two plays here or there. But when it's every single play, that's brutal on a defense. And those guys are missing tackles left and right. And you see that it's kind of this like jab, 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 jab. And then it's like left hook and it's like boom. And all of a sudden – the game wasn't six to zero anymore. It was twenty eight to six, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, that all happened so <laughs> quick. That escalated so quickly." And that is who this San Francisco team is. You know, the San Francisco team is just gonna run their scheme, and at some point, the scheme is gonna break down the wall, and you're not gonna be able to stop it. And so, they never were able to break through the wall against Minnesota. They were never able to break through the wall against a couple other teams. But when they do, they're just going to have their way. We saw it against Dallas. We saw it against Philly. We saw it against the Jaguars. Those are all really good teams that they just stopped. And two of them were on the road. Two of those games were on the road. So teams are going to have to figure out how to tackle on the outside because that's how you beat That's how you beat this team. And you got to keep the ball. San Francisco's ability to get their linemen out to the cornerbacks and to their safeties as quick as they did. I mean, that last tunnel screen on that play, it was like almost like Debo caught it, and the entire offensive line for San Francisco was already there blocking. Like, that is so impressive to get those bodies to move that fast. And, yeah, and if I'm a cornerback, no way am I going up against 6'7", 6'8", 350. Like, I'm out. Like, bro, I don't want to get hurt. Like, just let them go run. Let them go score. So. Yeah, yeah, San Francisco, definitely the best offense in the league right now. And not only do they have all the like weapons on their offense and have all the talent, but their scheme is unmatched. You know? Yeah. It, yeah, they know you how watched, to, yeah. Like you watched the Bronco game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. The Broncos ran four plays like with goal to go, and they could not get open at all. 
Yep. Meanwhile, San Francisco runs plays, and it feels like they have an open guy on every play. Mike McDaniels runs plays, and just his guys are in the middle of the zone asking for the ball all day. You know, so yep. it's funny because the Shanahan scheme just figures out how to get players where the defenders aren't, and then get the ball to them where they can make plays. And um, yeah. it's just crazy because not only do they have the talent, but they also have the best scheme. And when you marry those two things, like. I think Dallas has a really talented team. Mike McCarthy's scheme, nowhere near what Kyle Shanahan's is. You know, so no. that's the biggest difference in why they're so dominant is marrying those two theme, things together. You can have a good scheme, you can have good players, but can you do them both? And that's what the 49ers have done extremely well. So shout out John Lynch, shout out that whole organization because they are putting a dominant product on the field. And that's that's hard to say in the NFL that a team is like dominant because I want to transition right here. Cause I think that we can, we can kind of talk about two things at once. There was a team that we thought was really dominant in the NFL. And that was the Kansas city chiefs. They were doing it in a different way this year. They were doing it defensively instead of offensively, but all of a sudden the chiefs are starting to show they've got gaps, you know, and my pick of the week this last week was, the Green Bay Packers, one Green Bay is playing great football. So I want to talk about Jordan Love and the way that he's evolved this year into a really good passer that understands this offense. But Kansas City has also kind of hit their wall of, yeah, they're a really good team, but they're not dominant like, like we look at the 49ers. You know, the 49ers are beating teams by 20, 30 points. The Chiefs are yeah. eking out wins, you know? And so it's easy to beat a team by 17 points when you're playing the Raiders and they're lacking a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. But it's hard to compete against a team like the 49ers. It just yeah. shows the disparity in those teams, you know? So, yeah. I mean, Kansas City is like the type of offense Kansas City wants to run is that explosive offense and they are missing that with no Tyree Kill. Like when they had Tyree Kill, this was like what we saw with San Francisco. You had Tyree Kill running down the middle of the field and then you have Travis Kelsey just coming underneath and sitting right under it. Like how are you gonna guard that? You can't get you expect your linebackers to get back in time to cover Travis and you can't expect your safeties or corners to cover Tyree Kill. Like that's the type of offense we saw with this Chiefs team when they won and stuff, but now that they don't have that explosive factor. Um, I think the Chiefs need to kind of slow down a little bit They're on their offensive scheme, like use Pacheco a little bit more, set up some plays with the run instead of trying to do what you've done in the past, which is explosive Patrick Mahomes plays. But, yeah, Green Bay playing incredible football right now. Like Green Bay's, if they keep playing like this, they're making it into the playoffs for sure, and they're going to have a chance to upset some teams if they, they can get to that opportunity. But, yeah, not anywhere near what San Francisco is doing for Kansas City. So is this Green Bay team going to be like a really dominant team going forward? We've talked we've talked a little bit about how we've seen a, some really good things from Jordan Love, right? So yeah. I look I look at this offense and this Packers offense looks nothing like it did a few years ago. We've got new weapons like Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jalen Reed, right? And then they're doing it with a different quarterback. In Jordan Love. And yeah, they, they had a rough start. They had some like, they eked out some wins. They 
lost by some clo- in some close games, kind of put themselves at a deficit in the division. But the football that we saw from them the past two weeks against the Lions and the Chiefs, which these are two teams that are in the playoffs as division leaders right now. Like these are two really dominant NFL teams. And these yeah. Green Bay Packers didn't even blink an eye. Is this going to be a really dominant team going forward? Like, does Matt LaFleur have... Because all these guys are, like, under 20, 28 years old. You know, all these guys are really young guys, and this offense is just going to grow together. It's not like you're losing really old guys in this offense. So, because I think I think this is a team that is still going to be in contention to win this NFC North every single year. And I think that that's miserable for... Detroit Lions fans, and I think that's miserable for Vikings fans. And but it's really cool to see Jordan Love just evolve into this really suitable quarterback for this offense. You know, I'm not saying he's a superstar yeah. by any means just yet. I won't go that far, but man, he's looked like the real deal the past few weeks. Yeah, he definitely looks like this is somebody that we can build upon. Like this was kind of the year that we kind of expected, like. Jordan Love's got to show some some true colors and be able to be a NFL QB, and he's shown that. I mean, he threw three touchdowns, um, I think, with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, and now you've got Reed as a rookie coming in. Like, you've got pretty good skill position sets for these guys. Like, Green Bay's figuring it out. They know what they're doing. And, um, yeah, Jordan Love, dude, looks incredible. Great. I just hated hearing, like, during the po- during the cast though, like Chris Collinsworth comparing him to Patrick Mahomes the whole freaking time. So I'm like, dude, just stop comparing everybody to Patrick Mahomes. We already know what Patrick Mahomes does. He does crazy things. We hate the dude, but we love him at the same time. But like give give the respect and give what's due to Jordan Love. Like he's put in the work, he's put in the time to be able to get to this position to perform and be able to perform for his team and beat a playoff contention team. Like just give the credit to Jordan Love. He's been doing incredible work being able to pull his team together, get the ball into the end zone. Like, awesome for them. Awesome for Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, he's he's looked really, really good down the stretch. And I don't, like you said, I don't like it when Collinsworth or like any of these guys is comparing these guys to other guys. Let Jordan Love be his own quarterback. This kid has come out, played really great football the past two weeks. He had five weeks where he had an interception streak. He threw an interception um, week eight, an interception um, week nine, and then, I'm sorry, he threw an interception five straight weeks between week three at New Orleans to week eight against Minnesota. Since then, he threw zero interceptions against the Rams, threw two interceptions against Pittsburgh on the road who got a lot of pressure on him and they didn't look great that game. And then the past three games against the Chargers, Lions, and Kansas City Chiefs, he hasn't made those mistakes and he's thrown for 300 yards, 260, and 270. Yeah. Like this kid has just shown a lot of growth and I think that we're just skimming the surface of who he's going to be as a quarterback. He's 25 years old. It's his fourth season in the NFL. This kid entered the league so young. He was born two years after you and I, and this kid's going to have like a really long career with this team. So, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, even looking at like, 
their schedule for the games that they've won and lost. I mean, they opened up, they beat the Bears 38 to 20. Everybody can beat the Bears, but their their second their first loss was to the Falcons, which Falcons are not even anywhere close to being. I think the team that we saw at the beginning of the season, but they only lost by a point, 25 to 24. Then they beat the Saints. Then they kind of went on their losing streak. They lost to the Lions, the Raiders, the Broncos, and then the Vikings. But all these games are within scoring opportunities. Like they lost their first game to the Lions, but then they came back on Thanksgiving and they, they took it to them. They beat the Lions at Detroit. And then they only lost to the Raiders by four, lost to the Broncos by two. And then this Vikings game, I think the Vikings just kind of got a little lucky and were able to move the ball in this defense well. But they beat the Rams, lost to Pittsburgh, but then went against the Chargers, went against Detroit, went against the Chiefs. Like, these last three games for them that are wins, like, as much as we hate the Chargers right now, like, Chargers is still a well-known name in the NFL. Like, Chargers, Lions, Chiefs for their last three wins. And then now they've got a head in and they got the Giants, the Buccaneers, and the Panthers. Like, they can easily win the next three games. And then they've got the Vikings and the Bears to finish out the season. So we could definitely see Green Bay for years now, like, be a contender, be up there with the guys that they have. I think they just need to keep adding guys. Um, they obviously have the injury to Luke Musgrave this this year for their tight end position. But Tucker Kraft looks just as good as well as a rookie tight end. Jaden Reed has looked phenomenal as well, fast wide receiver. Um their defense is pretty solid too. Like Green Bay always has a good defense, has good linebackers, has a good interior. Um, this is a this is a team I think we can see in the next couple years be a really dangerous team. I think that they're a dangerous team this year, right? You just yeah. read their next five games; they can win all five of those games. They walk into the oh, playoffs yeah. on an eight game win streak, and they're contending for the division. Like if yeah. if you come into the playoffs on an eight game win streak. Um, who? That's hot. You're a scary team, you know. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're going to go into San Francisco and beat the 49ers, but no. Outside of the 49ers, I think that this team could compete with any team in the NFL. Yeah. Any given Sunday, Absolutely. and you t- you take that with the fact that they play in Green Bay, if they somehow won the division, if they somehow came out with the division, sorry, I am just pulling up the standings. They're three games behind the Lions, so it's going to be really hard. I don't think that they can catch the Lions. Uh, But if they were playing at Lambeau Field in the middle of January, that's a huge home field advantage. And a team that's got a lot of swagger, I think, and this is a team that's playing their best football right now versus a Lions team that hasn't played their best football the past few weeks. You know, they let the Saints right back into it. They lost, The Lions lost to the Packers the week before, and they looked terrible yeah. against the Bears, and their defense looked terrible against the Chargers the two weeks before that. So they're going into Chicago this week. I don't think that they'll lose, but who knows? They had a really hard time in Chicago. Um Last time and playing outside in Chicago in the middle of December could be a tough game for them. Could be a tough game for Jared yeah. Goff. And if he keeps making turnovers, you lose this game and then they play the Broncos, who have looked really good. You lose to the Broncos and then you lose to the Cowboys week 17. You've let the Packers right back into the division. And yep. if the Packers are hosting a playoff game, 
give me the Packers to win that game, and they'll be in the divisional round. Yeah. Easy. 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 So, it's funny because we made our playoff picture a few weeks ago, but I last week, but I kind of want to go back and put the Packers where I like a little bit higher than I anticipated them. You know, I think that they'll win these next five games and I think that they'll be a wild card and no one's going to be wanting to play them because they'll be on an eight game win streak. They'll be looking hot and they'll be playing their best football. So yeah, I'm absolutely loving Jordan love. And, uh, I'm kind of on this like little like bandwagon because couldn't stand watching Aaron Rodgers. I thought he was always overhyped, and I'd love to see LaFleur and Jordan Love have a little bit of success come down the stretch, um, especially after yeah, the way that Rodgers like, treated that whole organization the past year and just acted like this arrogant moron that was too good for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Green Bay fans, they're like some of the best fans in the world. Like, I've been to a game really in Lambeau. Are. I've been to a game in Lambeau, and it's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Um, so it'll be interesting going down the stretch. I will, like I said, I'll be I'll be rooting for them in most of the games, and there'll probably be a little bit of recency bias betting that I'm on them going forward as well. All right, that kind of wraps up that topic. Let's transition. We've been talking a lot of NFL, you know, but our our podcast is talking sports, so I want to talk a little bit more than just the NFL. Um, do you want to start with? College football or the NBA in-season tournament? Because we're going to hit both of them before we go. Uh, let's do the NBA in-season tournament because I feel like we're going to talk a lot about college football. I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time on the NBA in-season tournament because I think it's a joke. <laughs> All righty. NBA in-season tournament. Let's get to it. So the NBA introduced Ooh. new in-season tournament this Year they divided each conference into five pools, A, B, C, D, and E. Yeah, or was it four pools? Uh, it was five. I'd have to look at it again. I can't remember. It was five teams in a pool, and you had to win that pool to get to the to the tournament. Correct, and then they had three wild cards on each side. Yes. Okay, so sixteen team in season tournament, and. Yep. Uh, this is the games were kind of weird because there was like four or five weeks of games that went into this in season tournament, and you only knew that it was an in season tournament game because the courts were different. And I don't know, like the feel of those games just felt like regular season games. But then these players, like all of a sudden, the past few weeks started like caring a little bit more about it, and um. We just had the semifinal games or the quarterfinal games, right? Quarterfinals, yep. So we had the the quarterfinals. Semifinals are tomorrow. Yeah, and so have you watched any? Did you watch any of the quarterfinal games? I didn't watch any of them, but I saw all the highlights. I went back to all the games and watched the highlights. Um, I mean, in the west side, you had the Lakers and the Suns, and then the Kings and the Pelicans. On the east, you had Bucks and Knicks, and then Pacers and Celtics. Lakers and Bucks won, Pelicans and the Pacers won. So those are our semifinal teams. But, I mean, the Bucks absolutely obliterated the Knicks, 146 to 122. 
The Pacers actually beat the Celtics, which is the best team in the NBA right now, um, based off a of record. The Pacers won 122-112. to 112. The Lakers won by three, 106-103, because we can't have an NBA season tournament without LeBron in it. So congratulations, Lakers. You probably already won it. Pelicans and Kings, Pelicans 127 to 117. So, I mean, highlight-wise, like, again, like you're saying, it feels like just regular season games because we're in December, end of November, running these games. And it just – it felt cool with, like, the new courts and you got to see the new style, um, new jerseys, all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, we kind of see a little bit of some different play for these guys because, obviously, the winning team, each guy gets a half a million as as a reward for winning the in-season tournament. And it's like – we don't pay these guys enough already. They need more money. So why don't we incentivize them with money to win a tournament? Um, just to make it entertaining, I think NBA is trying to get creative on how do we get our viewership up? How do we get more people to watch the NBA during the season and not just during playoffs, which is the best time to watch the NBA. If you ever watch the NBA, like you can watch games here and there throughout the season. Playoffs, though, and finals, that's the best time to watch watch the NBA. So. Yeah, you've got Lakers, Pelicans, Bucks, and Pacers. These games are tomorrow. The Lakers and Pelicans are at seven on TNT, and then the Bucks and Pacers are at three. So the Bucks and Pacers have a game right before the West. Um, but yeah, my prediction for this is it's gonna be it's gonna be the Lakers. Um, and man, I don't know about this Bucks or Pacers. I haven't watched much much of the Pacers, but the Bucks this year are a scoring offense like crazy. Like, they've put up some points this year already, so we could see a Lakers-Bucks matchup. Um, but leave it to the NBA to let the Lakers win and let LeBron win and AD win, and AD just rides the coattails of LeBron. So, I don't know. I'm not going to be watching these games at all. I'll just watch the highlights from it. And then whoever wins the in-season tournament, it's like, good job. You won the in-season tournament. Now you've got the rest of the season to try to make the playoffs and win the finals. Yeah. I don't know. Like, so I was anticipating these to be like high energy, like almost like NCAA tournament field games. And that's just not what they were. And the semifinals and finals will be in Vegas. So maybe that'll make a difference. I think that the Lakers fans are going to travel and, and like show out because LA is right next to Vegas. But it's not like people are flying yep. from Milwaukee to Vegas to go see this game or from Indiana to Vegas to go see this game. Like, unlike no. Lakers fans, like, most of the other fans in the NBA have jobs, like, that they can't just go to Vegas. It's it's hard because, like, I don't know how the feel is going to be in, these in, in this in-season tournament. And honestly, there's two things that I would do to fix this. I hate pool play. Like... Let's play divisions. Yeah. Like, you've got five teams in each division. Why don't you just play in your division? You know, that should mm-hmm. be pool play. And then um, if we're going to have a tournament in Vegas, why is it like early December? We have Christmas games every year, right? Yep. Wouldn't you, why wouldn't you make this in-season tournament like lead up to the Christmas games? And then you're... Christmas games, like your Christmas lineups, could be two matchups that aren't in the tournament, and then a fifth place game, a third place game, and then the championship to cap off the night. 
you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I feel like the NBA could have done a better job with this because especially if you're doing a tournament around Christmas that allows people to like travel to Vegas, like have fans there and like, yeah, do something that fans actually care about or just let the better team host, you know, if these games were in Milwaukee or in Indiana, like I think that those crowds would be raucous, you know, but having them in Vegas, I just, yeah, I guess I guess the last two things, I guess the last two things LeBron will ever win in his career will be a Mickey mouse ring in Orlando, Florida on a neutral court in the NBA in season tournament in a neutral regular season didn't mean anything in Las Vegas. So I guess if the goat, unlike Michael Jordan can't play on the road and has to play in a, in a neutral environment, then like neutral, then I guess like we can call him like, I don't even know, but it's just kind of funny to me that the last two things that this man is going to win are going to be on neutral courts. We'll call him. We'll call him the neutral yeah. after this, because <laughs> yeah, he the neutral. Wanna... Yeah, the neutral. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean the. Uh, let's see here. I'm gonna have some fun with this. Let's do. Uh, I'm gonna go into Hard Rock Bet. We're gonna go to in season tournament. Give me the Indiana Pacers four and a half to one. I'm gonna put. Should put a bet on Indiana. Give me Tyrese oh, Halliburton. Give me the Halle boy. He uh, he had his first Dude, triple double the other day. Been, he oh. went off against the Boston Celtics. And you know what? No one wants to talk about Indiana, so I will. The Pacers. The Pacers look good, and I thought that they played it really is. well against a team that is a favorite to win the finals this year, and. They're a team that's just playing really good team basketball, and Halliburton is getting hot right now. So um, that could carry them to the in-season tournament. And I think it'd be fun to see a little market team like Indiana or New Orleans win this in-season tournament. So let's go Pacers. Yep. Yeah. No, and looking at the games just from it, like over under on Indiana Milwaukee two fifty four and then the over under on New New Orleans and Los Angeles two thirty. So high scoring game for Bucks and Pacers. But Tyrese Halliburton, dude's been all in out like crazy. Like I think the last ten games he's got an insane amount of points. So I kinda like I like the Pacers too. Sneaky. Like that's why I kinda hesitated on Bucks and Pacers on who's gonna be playing the Lakers because Lakers are definitely making it. <laughs> All right. Well, enough on the neutral. We will get to the college football playoff. I did a solo pod the other day. I don't know if you were able to see my video, but I I was able to. I was able to watch a little bit of it. I kind of gave my takes on what happened with this selection. So let's let's break it down. Michigan number one. They beat Ohio State. The Big Ten is well respected. Obviously, they've they've beat Penn State. They beat Ohio State. They're undefeated. Number one. Washington yeah. won the Pac-12. Beat a really good Oregon team twice. Once at home and once on a neutral field. 
They win the Pac-12 nope. undefeated conference champion. They're in. Texas. Alabama. And Florida State. Texas had one loss this year. They lost in the Red River rivalry. And that was on a neutral field. That was a tough loss for Texas. But it was to a one-loss Oklahoma team. And Dylan Gabriel that... uh played really well. And they had one loss at the time. I know that they ended up with three losses. They had a lot of stuff go wrong end of the season, but they were they were ranked 10th in the country at that point. And Alabama lost one home game to this Texas Longhorns team that has played really well all year. And then Florida State goes undefeated, wins the ACC, loses their quarterback 2 weeks ago, and go down early to Florida. Squeak out a win last week, lose their second-string quarterback. They're down to their third-string quarterback, and they pull out a barn burner of a game, 16-6 to against the Louisville Cardinals. Mm. Let's let's talk about this selection. If you're the college football playoff, what four teams are you putting in, and, and what are your thoughts behind that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with the decision to not put Florida state in there just solely off of that championship game from Florida state and Louisville, like Florida state, you were not able to move the ball against the 14th ranked team in the nation. Like how are you going to expect to move the ball against a, a Michigan and Alabama, a, even a Georgia, like college football playoffs right now. It's, it's like the NBA. It's like the NFL. It's purely off of entertainment. What is the most entertaining game that we can put out there? And yes, in the years past, we've had some really bad college football playoff games. Most of those have been Michigan. So (laughs) we'll see, but based solely off of entertainment, like you can't expect to make it in. You lost your starting quarterback. You could barely move the ball against this defense on Louisville. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like there's, there's no way that yes, you're 13 and oh, that's, that's a really good record to have. And you're in a power five conference, but at the same time, like you're not going to be expected to move the ball against some of these, these other football teams that are in. Um, I couldn't even see them move the football against Texas. Like Texas looked really good against Oklahoma state. And yes, it's big 12. They're not as high up there as the sec, ACC, big 10. But it's still a Power 5 conference. I mean, between the Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10, ACC, SEC, like, these are dominant schools. Like, any of these schools go play a different conference, like the American Athletic Conference. They will just slack these teams. Like, these are very high, very high-profile athletes in these Power 5 conferences. And, yeah, I think Texas kind of deserves it. Like, you're saying, like, Oklahoma in the big, uh, middle of the season, like, this was a one-loss team in Oklahoma. It's a neutral site. This is a really big game between Oklahoma and Texas. And Oklahoma, I think, just kind of rid the energy and that kind of a little bit better than Texas did. And we saw them come out on top. But then Texas, after that game, has literally beat the crap out of teams to say, like, okay, we lost a team. We're going to still keep playing our style of football and keep showing the nation that we're one of the best football teams right now and show the SEC for next year, like, we're coming. Like, we're joining the SEC, but we're not going to join and be the bottom of the barrel. Like, no, we're joining, and we're going to be a contender in the SEC. So Alabama, Georgia, these teams, watch out. I think it's going to take a little bit to still get to the point where they can take on Georgia and Alabama on a consistent yearly basis. But 
Texas is right there. Like, I would rather have Texas over Florida State. It's going to be a much more entertaining game. Watching the Big 12 championship, like, Texas moves the ball extremely well. Like, Quinn Ewers passing the ball is phenomenal. It was fun to watch. It was a really fun game. But, yeah, I like Washington in there. I mean, beating Oregon, who's another really good football team, to beat a team twice in the season, regardless of what league you're in, even high school, that's really, really good. Like, you got to be a really good team to beat a team twice that you play consistently, That's especially in your in your league, in your division. So, um, Washington is definitely in there. I don't know about this Alabama pick, though. Um, I was kind of leaning more towards Georgia. Just solely off, I mean, Georgia's been dominant all year, and Alabama has been so up and down all season. They lost to Texas um, the last game against Auburn. They just looked horrendous. It was like, what are you doing? You can't even move the football against Auburn. And Auburn, like, Auburn played a great game, but at the end there, it's like, you shot your foot, yourself in the foot like with penalties, and you're all the way back to the 30, and then you get lucky with an end zone catch. Like They barely got that win out of Auburn. So, I, I mean, I like Michigan. I like Washington. I like Texas. I don't necessarily like this Alabama pick. I would have rather see Georgia in there. Yeah, sure, you beat them in the SEC championship, but you also played a really crappy season. Like I was not impressed with Alabama at all this season. At the same time, I wasn't that impressed with Georgia. You know. They played a lot of really easy opponents throughout the year. I mean, one of the best teams in their division of the SEC year to year is Florida. And Florida didn't even make a bowl game this year. Georgia lost Mm -hmm. a few key components and then didn't even show up for championship weekend. You know, so if you don't show up for the SEC championship and you get beat by Alabama, then you don't deserve to be in the college football playoff. So, hear me out. Georgia wins the SEC championship. It's Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. No questions. Because Texas cannot get in as a one-loss team if there's four undefeated Power 5 champions. Texas cannot get in. But Texas was so dominant in their win that when you only have two conference champions that were undefeated and really looked the part. And then you have one conference champion that didn't look the part. And then you've got an Alabama team that lost to Texas that looks like they belong in the college football playoff. And their game against Georgia, they looked really good in the SEC championship. So the committee's sitting here, and they've got two that they know are in. And then they're deciding between three teams, right? Yep. You got to take Texas, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you don't have to take Texas. You don't have to take Texas. But you, the SEC is so well-respected, they want to look at Alabama. They go, Alabama won the SEC championship. They beat a team that's defending national champions back-to-back, and they've won 29 straight games. So Alabama, they've got a really good team. They're one of the four best teams. But you can't take Alabama without taking Texas because Texas beat Alabama. Right? So the path of least resistance, just take both of them, leave Florida State aside. So it was really unfortunate. I feel really bad for the Florida State kids. I mean, this is such a crappy way to end the season. This is such a crappy way for things to happen. But Georgia wins the SEC championship. Like I said, Georgia's playing Florida State round one of the college football playoff. And that's the game we're actually going to get to see in the orange bowl. 
So yep. if Florida State wants to show that they belonged in the college football playoff, they'll beat the crap out of Georgia. But I don't even have to guess what the point spread would have been because they're actually playing Georgia. The point spread's 14 points. Yeah. They're two touchdowns, two full touchdowns, not just two scores, two full touchdowns, underdog. Which shows me that Vegas, the college football committee, that America doesn't respect this Florida State team. You know? And no. so did the did the committee get the best four teams? I think so. Yep. I think so. Did Florida State get screwed? Yeah, for sure. I think that we can agree on those two things. We got the best four teams, but Florida State got screwed. And oh yeah, the only way to fix this was have a bigger playoff, which they should have just done ten years ago. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if we got to the really playoff have. format that we're going to have in the future, like if we had the twelve teams this year, man, that would be really interesting. Because then you got Georgia probably at that five seed. You're going to put Florida State. I don't know if you put Oregon above Florida State, but Florida State has undefeated undefeated record, so I'd put Florida State above them. But you got it would have Georgia, been, Oregon, it would have Florida been some State. of the best television we've seen in years. That's oh, all. I have it to would say. have been some incredible games this year. Yeah, yeah. All righty. Well, I got to take off. Um, I have some stuff to attend to, so that wraps up okay. our episode on Wednesday. Um, we skipped right over a Thursday night football preview because we. Quite frankly, don't care about this game. It's a crappy game. So um, join us um, for our, <laughs> join us for our Friday episode <laughs> where we will break down all of Sunday's matchups. We will give some picks on our Friday episode and hopefully take home some cash like we did this past week, or at least my picks did um, this past yeah. week. So um, Come hang out with us on Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Talking Sports RG. Go follow our YouTube. Comment. Make fun of us for some of our takes or share some of the takes that you really like. So uh, we appreciate all of you guys listening. Barstool, FanDuel, DraftKings. Someone sponsor us, please. All right. But that is all <laughs> we have for this week. We will see you later. See ya. Cowboys sub.